All right, guys, I'll go ahead and get us rolling. If you want to uh, find your seats, I'll go ahead and get us started on our fifth of six lessons on how to arc a passage. And uh, for you guys who have been in and out, if you probably remember, arcing is where we are breaking a passage down into its individual propositions. And then we are uh, tracing or, or demonstrating how the logic of the text flows and how each of those individual ideas relate to each other so that we can see how the supporting propositions support the main point. Um, and so far, you really haven't got a chance to see how do we know what the main point is. It's just all been about the groupings and the relationships and how those work. And so today's the lesson on which we answer that. How do we see what the main point is and what it's being supported by and in what way? Um, so I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, your speaking is your doing. You speak the world into existence and thereby create. You speak the gospel and thereby give new life. You speak your promises and thereby give hope and light to our path. And so we ask, Lord, um, that you would teach us how to not lean on our own understanding but in all of our ways, including the way that we read your word, to acknowledge you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, this lesson on identifying the main point is built on a, a, a premise or an assumption. And the assumption is, when we teach the Bible, it means that when we preach, when we lead a small group, when we are doing family worship, when we're even reading in our quiet times, when we teach the Bible is unlike teaching really anything else. Not a very profound statement, but I, I, want, I want to explain about what that means. So let's say, for example, um, Joel were to take me and teach me how he runs his UPS truck. He would say, you know, this is the way that I do it. This is the way that they tell us how to do it. And so there's a little bit of a submission to a process and, and standards that are coming up above him. But there's also a little bit of like best practice and, and here, here's how I think this works best and all these other types of things. He, he begins to, in a lot of ways, interject himself into the instruction and give his own ideas in what it is that it means to be a good UPS delivery driver. However, when we teach the Bible, we're doing something fundamentally different. We are saying, thus says the Lord. And therefore, everything that comes forward should be what the Lord has said. We do not have permission to inject ourselves and our own ideas, but instead we labor 
diligently to present what he has spoken and not pollute it with our own thoughts. Here's the default position. If I could leave this church with anything, the default position I would love for all of you to take every time you handle the Scripture is that any conclusion, any thought, any way in which you teach it to your children, to yourself, you need to ask yourself, is this justified? Do I have the right to say this? Because we do not get our authority alone from the positions in which God has installed us. There is, to some extent, an authority there. You have authority as a parent, authority as a pastor, etc. But when we're speaking with God's authority, that authority is valid so long as it is saying what God has said. When we slip in our own ideas, we are now using His authority to pass off what we have said. And that's why we labor so tirelessly not to impersonate Him, but to speak so that He can speak. Now here's the most beautiful promise and motivation to do that, not just the fear of peddling the Word, but the confidence that His speaking is His doing. That the same Word that spoke this whole universe into existence, that upholds everything, that gives life, that Word is the Word that has power. And so when we can pull ourselves out and get out of the way and let Him speak, that's how He works in our lives, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our church. So make that your default. Is this what he has said? And so that's what we're going to do with the main point, is we're going to try to work backwards and say, how do I identify what he has said? And how do I see what the main point is and what are the supporting points? Because oftentimes, the main point and your favorite point are not the same. And so we want to we see how God supports what he says and the arguments that he used. It'll radically reorient the way that you view even some of your favorite passages. There are so many times where you'll see something that is absolutely fascinating and completely miss that it was supporting an imperative you were supposed to go obey. So this is an example of where we want to figure out where the main point is versus the supporting points. All right, so my goal today is by the end of this lesson, I want you to be able to identify the main point of each of those relationships that we've been using. And then not only do we identify the relationship main point between two individual ideas, but then as those ideas get bigger and bigger, we can look at an entire passage and see which ideas are supporting a main idea. And so we want to be able to see that within a passage. So to demonstrate, let's start here. Let me turn these lights off really quickly.
All right, I'm going to read this, and I just want you to ask yourself a question as I read it. What, if you were, if you were teaching this or you were doing your quiet time, leading a devotion, what is the main point? What is the main idea, and the rest of it is supporting it? So I'm going to read it, and I just want you to answer that, and I'm going to actually take a couple of volunteers to say what they think the main idea is. If anyone hears my teachings and does not keep him, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teachings has one who judges him, the word which I spoke. That will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. All right, so of all of those propositions that are up there, which one is the main idea? If you were to teach this, or you were to walk away from this, and you're meditating on what is it God said here? What's the main idea? I'm sorry? Okay, so um, listening to Jesus. Maybe to ask the question more specifically, which of these propositions, the actual lines up there, would you say is the main one? And the rest of them are supporting it. Okay, good. I heard another answer. What was it? And I know his commandment is eternal life. Okay. Judges? Good. Good. He didn't speak on his own initiative. All right. So what we're going to do is through this lesson, I'm going to show you how to read this so that you can tell. But I do want to say before we even get started that I think this passage, I know that we're not doing Romans 8 today. Sorry, I'll put the arc up for Romans 8 a little bit later. Um, But I think this passage even reemphasizes kind of the point that we're making this morning. If Jesus does not speak with his own authority, but only what he has been told, how much more so his servants, right? All right, so by the end of this lesson, we're going to circle back around here. I'm going to show you how to find the main point. All right, so you guys remember, for those who were here in the very first lesson, we had this picture up here. We had two categories of relationships. We, had, we said that two ideas can relate to each other in a coordinate way, and there were three relationships for that a series, a progression, and an alternative. And that's where neither idea supports the other. They're both the main idea because they're both contributing something and collectively they serve as the main point. But then we had this other over here, the majority of the relationships, which is called a subordinate. That was the other 15, where one idea is the main idea And the other idea is like that little chair that's actually supporting it. Your attention is supposed to be directed at the main idea, but it's being supported by something else. So now what we're going to do is we're going to walk through 
each of those relationships, those 15, and we're going to talk about, and I think you'll be able to see it pretty intuitively, oh wow, it is true that one of those is the main idea and the other one's being, and it's being supported by the other one. So here, let's go ahead and get started, and you'll see it. All right, so this is one of our first ones. This is an action-manner relationship in which one is the action and the other is explaining the manner in which the action was carried out. Now, intuitively, which one of those eyes is the main point? It's the action. The action is the main point, and the manner is just telling you how the action occurred. Right? I went to the store speeding along the way. What's the main idea? I went to the store. Speeding along the way is just telling you how I went to the store. But the main idea is that I went to the store. Same thing here. For this is how we know, this is how the holy men hoped in God and used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands. The main idea is that the holy women used to behave a particular way. The manner is just explaining what that is. But the main idea is the action itself. All right, that's action manner. Here's the next one. This is a comparison relationship. But we were, gent we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. The main point here is the original statement. We were gentle. And then it slowly shifts your tension over here to some other type of reference point, a comparison, just to give you more information on how you were gentle. But the main idea is that you were gentle. The main idea is whatever you're saying, and then the comparative is just supporting and giving you more information about that idea. The next one, these are the negative positives, where we state one thing negatively, and then state that same thing again positively. Whenever you have a negative positive relationship, you're negating something so as to strengthen whatever you're stating positively. We, we use this, I don't hate that guy, I love that guy. What's the main point? I love that guy. I'm saying I don't hate that guy, I'm making a negative statement, just to strengthen and inform what I mean by I love that guy. So whatever I'm stating positively is the main point. The same thing up here. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the main point? Understand the will of the Lord. And we're strengthening that by stating something negatively. Let's look at the next one. This is a question and answer relationship. Now, this one should be obvious. The main point is whatever the answer is to the question. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. So what's the main idea? The Lord is strong and mighty. That's the main idea. And now you're already seeing, just as at the beginning, that this not only works where you have a main point and uh, a supporting statement in words just relating to ideas, but now even groups of ideas. So the main point are those two statements, right? Because they're both part of the answer to the question. All right, this is an idea explanation. 
where we state an idea and then we explain a little bit further what that idea or a particular word in that idea means. But you can see how that if you're stating an idea and then explaining it further, the explanation is supporting the main idea. It's helping you to understand it. So, I will tell of the decree is the idea. What's the explanation? Well, what the decree is. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The main idea is that I will tell of the decree. And then underneath that, there's another idea explanation. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The explanation is supporting whatever the idea is. Now, this demonstration is also why, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I said whenever there's a quote or a contemplative verb, I don't break them up. So this is actually an example of what I wouldn't do because I think it confuses about where your attention is supposed to go. So I would actually probably leave these together and say, I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. I would probably let that whole thing together so that you're, you can properly demonstrate what the main idea and the main point is. This will make more sense when we get back to that John passage. All right. Now a ground. Now remember, a ground is where you're giving a supporting argument for something that you've already said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the king of heaven. What's the main idea? That the poor in spirit are blessed. That's being supported by a reason for why that's true. So the main idea is blessed are the poor in spirit. All right, let's do the next one. Romans 6, 11 through 12. This is an inference. And we talked about how an inference and a ground, they're the same thing. They're just flipped in order. One of them, you state the main idea and then support it with the reason. In an inference, you state the reason that, and then what is therefore being supported by that reason. So it's the same thing, just in a different order. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to make yourself obey its passions. So this is just a great example, right? Your mind might drift towards consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. But he wants you to do something. There's a, he's giving you a reason for something else. The main point here is don't let sin reign in your body. He's giving you a reason why you shouldn't do that. All right, that's an inference. All right, now this is a bilateral one that you don't use very much, but it's where you state something, or uh, you state something, you support it, and then you restate it again. So naturally the things that are sitting on both sides of it are the main point. We don't use those very much, so I'm not going to waste too much time on it. All right, now this is an action result. This one is a little unique in that it's one where the main point is not automatic. In all these relationships, the main point is already logically there and it doesn't move. On an action result, the main idea is really going to be determined by the context. So let me give you two examples to kind of explain this. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea the result of which 
so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Now, in this particular verse, the main idea is the result. It's wanting you to understand why the boat is being swamped. The action is what took place. The result is the main point because that is moving the story along. It's creating the setting for what happens next. So the main idea is that result from the action of the storm. However, sometimes the context is different. So Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord, action, and he counted it as righteousness. The main idea is that he believed the, the Lord. There's a result that came from that, but the main idea is that he believed. All right, let's keep moving. Action, purpose, where we state an action, and then we give the purpose for which that action happened. Naturally, this means that whatever the purpose is, is the main point. So, humble yourselves, therefore, under the hand of God. Why should you do that? So that he may exalt you. Whenever I'm giving you a reason for why you should do something, or a reason for why an action has taken place, that's the main thing that I want you to take away from this. Go to the store so that you can get milk. What's the main idea? Get milk. I need it. It's the main idea. And so whenever we give a purpose to a particular action, the purpose is the main focal point. If, then, or conditional statements. The satisfied condition, or the then phrase, is the main idea. The condition the if phrase is just giving you the circumstances necessary for that main idea to be true. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What's the main idea? You are not under the law. It's simply providing you that that if statement is giving you the conditions under which it's true, but it's supporting the main idea by providing that condition. So the main idea here is, you're not under the law. And then there's a condition under which that's true. All right, now the next two, temporal and locative, one of them is a main idea and the time in which it's true. That's up here. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. What's the main idea? Count it joy. And then I'm going to support that by explaining when you should count it joy. And then the next one's locative. I'm going to give you an idea, and then where that is true. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. What's the main idea? That the vultures will gather. And then I'm providing you a supporting condition or a place in which that main idea is true. But it's only supporting that. It's just telling you where it's true. Now we move into our last set which is what's called support by contrast. And this is first one is a concessive. It's where we state something that seems like it would be a counter-argument, but by stating it ahead of time, it actually strengthens what we are saying. It strengthens the main point by presenting something that feels counterintuitive. 
Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. The main idea is that Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. And we're going to support that. We're going to make it stronger by stating something that you feel like would be a reason why it's not true. But then by saying it on the front end, you're basically saying, even though this is the case, it's still true. You would think a son would not suffer. A son would not have to learn obedience that way. God wouldn't treat his own son that way. And by stating that on the front end, it's like, wait, even though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered? You see how that strengthens that understanding of that he learned by suffering? Even though he was a son, this is still true. So we're strengthening it by a contrasting statement. And then this is the last group, which is called a situation response. It's where you have a situation that takes place, and then the surprising response. So, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. That's the situation. Building the context. And then here comes the surprising main point. And you were not willing. What's the main point? That they weren't willing. They wouldn't come. And I'm giving you the surprising, why that's such a surprise. I'm giving you the context. I'm supporting that with this situation that you would not expect that to be the, the outcome. You wouldn't expect that if God was so willing to save them, so willing to gather them, so willing to care for them, that they would then reject him. And so I'm strengthening that idea that you aren't willing by providing all of this surprising situation that makes that response all the more shocking. So one of them is supporting the main idea, which is their response. So for example, if I were teaching this passage, I want to make sure that my hearers walk away knowing that the main point of this passage was Jerusalem's response. And that everything up above that was supporting it. So yes, I'm going to teach that. But, and, and I might sometimes be overly dogmatic about this, but I would, I would even make like <laughs> the sermon title, the, the lesson title, Jerusalem did not respond. And the rest of it is just supporting it. But how tempting would it be, right, to just look, look how caring and nurturing and, and kind God is. That's what we want. That's not where the text is going. The text is emphasizing Jerusalem's response. And within the context of the Gospel of Matthew, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's pronouncing woes against Jerusalem before they crucify him. And so if we were to go and teach about the kind and nurturing care of God, when that's not what the gospel is using this to teach, it's just, a, it's the context of it that makes what they're doing all the more surprising. And so I would want to make sure that I were to teach it that way. All right. So now we're going to pull the passage back up, and we're going to find the main point together. I know it's a little hard to see. Let me see if we can fix that. All right. So, if anyone hears my teachings, that's the situation, and does not keep them. 
That's a pretty surprising response. If you hear them, you'd expect to keep them. So what's the main idea between these two? You have a situation and a surprising response. What's the main idea? That's right. The main idea is that they didn't keep them. All right, so they didn't keep them. That's the situation. The situation here is that they didn't keep the commandments. Here's the surprising response to that. I don't judge him. That's shocking. Somebody hears my teaching and then doesn't keep them? I don't judge them? So what's the main idea in, these two, in this whole group? Exactly. I don't judge him. That's the main idea. All right. Now let's move on to this next group. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. So here's a negative-positive relationship. What's the main point between just these two sentences? Yeah, I came to save the world. So now let's look at how these all relate to each other. The main idea in this group is I don't judge the world. Because, main idea in this group, I came to save it. Why doesn't Jesus judge them? Because he came to save. Now let's scoot down. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teachings, condition, has one who judges him. The word which I spoke. All right, we have an if-then statement. What's the main idea? The then. The then is the main idea. The if is just the conditions under which it's true. So the main idea is they do have someone who judges them. It's just not me. That will judge him on the last day. So when will that judgment take place? On the last day. What's the main idea? Still, he has one who judges him. That's the main idea there. All right, now let's back out. Let's look at this whole group together. Negatively, I don't judge you, right? You can see how this is just supporting the main idea here. I don't judge. And then down here we have, but there is one that judges. I don't judge. There is one that judges. Negatively, I don't judge. Positively, there is one who judges. What's the main idea? There is one who judges. All right, now let's back out even further. For I did not speak on my own, negative, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to speak. Skipping over this part for time. So I don't speak on my own, but the Father has given me a commandment to speak. So I don't speak on my own, negative, but I speak what the Father told me to say, positive. What's the main idea? I speak what the Father told me to say. Good. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Now we see our first coordinate relationship. So in this whole group here, there are two main points. The commandment is eternal life, and I only say what the Father told me to say. 
Those two things together create two coordinating ideas. So think about this. Here we're going to jump down. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Just as the Father told me is a comparison. It's telling you how he speaks. But the main point is, I only speak what the Father told me to. Why? Because I only speak what he told me to say. He gave me a commandment. He gave me a commandment to come and preach. He told me what to say. He sent me to preach. And I know it's eternal life. Those two things together are why I therefore only say what he told me to say. So the first one, he gave me a commandment. The second one, I know those words are eternal life. The outcome of which, the implication of which is, therefore, I only speak what he told me. I have no higher motivation. I was given a commandment by God, and I know the words are eternal life. Therefore, I only say what he told me to say. How much more us? All right. But all of this together hinges on this word right here, for. So this whole group that Jesus only speaks what the Father told him to speak, as fascinating as it is, is not the main idea. It's supporting this statement. He has one who judges him. Why does he have one who judges him? Because Jesus is speaking only what he was commanded by the Father. So think about that. The main point here in this passage is exactly what Beulah said. He has one who judges him. So who judges? Jesus said, I didn't come to judge. Who's judging? The Father. Why is the Father judging? Because they're not rejecting Jesus' words. They're rejecting the words the Father gave him to speak. So Jesus is saying, you reject my words, it's not my words you're rejecting. Therefore, I don't judge you. The Father judges you because they're his words. But the main point, the Father will judge you. Now, let's back out into the context of John's Gospel. This is the last public statement Jesus makes. He's standing in the temple courtyard, and he calls out to the crowds. This is the last thing he says in his public ministry. Every single word going forward will be only directed at the Father or his disciples. And the last thing he says is, the Father will judge you. That is the main point. And if I were teaching this passage, as tempting as it would be, especially considering how passionate I am about the subject, to just talk about how we only say whatever God tells us to say. That's only supporting the main point. The main point is that the Father will judge them because Jesus has spoken the Father's words. And therefore, it's not Jesus they're rejecting. And then when we see that action play out, and they actually do reject Jesus, they actually do condemn his words, they actually do crucify him, he's already foreshadowed what their fate is. All right. So this is where we're talking about the main point and why understanding these logical relationships and how they work can guard and protect our teaching. Now, although it's not the main point, it's still true, so let me say it again. If Jesus only speaks what the Father commands, and Jesus does so because he knows those words are eternal life, I 
pray for your Bible study, your family worship, your small group, your preaching, all of it. Live this way. Labor to find the main point and see how everything else supports it. And then emphasize what God has emphasized. Not your favorite topic. This will keep you from drifting according to the different ebbs and flows of culture, your life situation, and have you teach God's word in the most timely manner. All right. I'm going to pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Next week, I'll post my Romans arc so you guys can see it. Next week, we'll do the last Romans passage. And then what we're going to do is we're going to back out and do this all again, and we're going to say, all right, what's the main point of the entire chapter of Romans 8? Okay? Father, I pray that you would give us the humility and the courageous hope that your words have been commanded and they have eternal life. Therefore, you will judge anyone who doesn't speak them. Our role is simply to speak so that you can judge both for life and for death. In Christ's name, amen.